Hello and welcome. My name is Liva Bonnevi and this is episode 23 from Clan of Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. In today's episode I invited two guests. The first one is the Norwegian dog trainer Turid Rugos, a name that was so frequently mentioned by my international podcast guests when we talked about horses that I decided I wanted to get to know her better. And as it turns out, Turi is not just a dog person. She is also a certified riding instructor. But she didn't really fit into the old-fashioned riding school system, and her focus shifted from equines to canines. And she really made her mark in 1997, when she published a book on talking terms with dogs, where she identified around 30 calming signals dogs use to communicate. And in 2016, she was awarded the King's Badge of Honor by His Majesty King Harald VII of Norway for a lifelong contribution in the field of canine behavior. Right around that same time, my second guest, Rachael Dreishma, or Rachel as she is called internationally, published her book Language, Signs and Calming Signals of Horses. Rachel is a Dutch horse lover who has trained both dogs and horses professionally for about 20 years. She met Turid through Turid's International Dog Trainers Education, and they soon discovered that they shared a passion for both calming signals and horses, which was not just the start of a lifelong friendship, but also Rachel's study on which her book is based. When I met the two of them online, Rachel was visiting Turid here in Norway. The internet connection is not brilliant, but the content sure is. Welcome to the Clan of the Horses podcast, Turin Rachel, and thank you for finding an opening in your busy schedule so we were able to have this talk. Pleasure. Sure. I always like to start with the beginning, so to say, and at our age, a full life story is a bit ambitious for a show of this length at least, but I would love to get a feel of the journey you both have had so far when it comes to animal behavior and calming signals. Should we start with you, Turid? We can do that. Uh, I grew up beside the uh, racetracking. And uh, I have been observing horses my whole life. And horses was my uh, big thing when I grew up. So um, it started with that. I took an education as a, a horse riding instructor at Stadium. And I worked with horses for a long time. Uh, not so much uh, instructing riding, but I turned into behavior because that is, has always been my favorite. And during all the years with horses, I I noticed and observed because uh, I'm actually a born observer. I observed the language that horses had. And I started to, to use them and uh, communicate with them in a way that I saw they understood. So when I later started to work with the dogs, I also well, I was aware that they also had a language and I noticed the same. And so it had a natural development from the very beginning, just by observing. And anybody can observe it if they want to, and if they have patience to look at the animals, when they are doing what they do without any interference. And you will be able to see how they speak and how they react to things. And that way you can actually learn how they communicate. 
As long as you uh, are around animals, just observe. That's uh, how it works because they communicate with the environment all the time. And the, the more they are in different environments, the more you will see because you will recognize uh, the language they have. Because I think that can be challenging for people sometimes that they think that in order to learn something about horses and horse, the horse's language, that you need to observe them actually in the wild or in, you know. No. Uh, you see much more in uh, our society because there are so much more going on that you see much more language. In the wild, there is not that much to communicate with. So it, it gets a little different. But um, everybody can observe. Yes, they can. But the fact is that many uh, people are not really good from, from birth in observing. So they have to learn it. And it's no shame not to, to be a born observer because that's uh, something you're born with or not. But everybody can learn. So that's you, uh, Turid, and uh, your approach with calming signals. You observe the horses and then you kind of found this language and you wrote the dictionary in a way. Yes. Uh, it was a long, a long way to go, of course. But uh, if you want to do good things, you have to have patience and work on it. Nothing is done in uh, just a jiffy. And then it's you, Rachel. How, how do you uh, come into this? I can make a very short and long story. So the short one, um, started. I started working as a dog behavioral consultant in 2003, full-time. And the moment I read Turret's book on calming signals, that made a huge impact in my working with dogs because I could read them much better and fine-tune my communication with them and also my help to the owners. And horses were also part of my life daily, as were dogs. And you can never just stick to one species, can you, when you observe and you interact with them. Um, so what I read in Turret's book and what I practiced with the dogs, I also practiced with horses. And when Turret came to the Netherlands in 2012 for an education, I went there straight away. And we intensified our contact and we found a common passion that was that were the horses. So we started a study uh, about calming signals of horses, which, uh, yeah. What I think is interesting is that when it comes to calming signals, uh, they are very subtle. Is it right to say that it's more of a sort of a secret for people who deal with horses and dogs that, you know, this language really exists? What I experience is that most people, when they have read the book or I have explained it to them and shown how they can see it in a dog, they actually say, oh, I've seen that a lot of times. They do notice, but they haven't had any idea what it meant. It is easy to see. It is not that subtle. In the beginning of a situation, you might get a very subtle little uh, signal, but as the situation goes on, it escalates. We have an escalation ladder of uh, emotions and also escalation of uh, calming signals and stress signals. Uh, in the absolutely very beginning, it can be difficult for people to see it because they are not quick enough, but uh, it's easy enough. So when they learn to see it, uh, they usually say that. 
I've seen that. Oh yeah, he he does that. He's done that a lot. So they have noticed in a way. Yes, and I also think why is it why is it so uh unavoidable for people to see stress signals because then they have a problem with their horse. Yes. He's big, he's tense, and then you notice yeah. because you go like, oh God, yeah, why am I in this situation? And if you see calming signals and sometimes you don't notice, you get away with it. Mm-hmm. You get a problem maybe after after a little while, but so that's why maybe they're not uh, people get away with not seeing the consequences right away. So mm-hmm. maybe that's also why it is a bit unnoticed till now because i do think people want to know that is my impression as well when i do this podcast that people contact me and say where can we go to learn more so when it comes to calming signals it's always nice to have some you know examples of calming signals that a horse could do in a specific situation and what would be a good way to handle it so you want to have maybe an example of daily life experience or what are you looking for Yeah. yeah daily life experience Daily life experience can be when two horses are introduced, when one is new to the group, and people do not take the time to observe them before they are introduced and just let go in the group. So if I would uh, suggest, I might suggest to have the group of horses and then maybe a string in between the new horse so they can observe, walk past each other, You can observe them and see if they are friendly to each other, if they show stress signals, if they show calming signals. And if you see they show calming signals indicated, they want to keep a positive social climate and not have a negative escalation without stress signals and without being tense, that might be a nice way to say like, okay, we might go a step further in the introduction. One even more daily thing that I think about is going into the field to pick up the horse yeah there. also yeah because that's what the people do all the time yeah and just <laughs> yes going straight forward and missing signals yes. yeah well if you have a very good relationship with your horse and he's waiting for you and he he comes to you obviously you can go to him but if you see a horse withdrawing a bit lightweight shift to the outside, maybe an ear to the outside, an eye to the outside because he wants to leave because you're too frontally facing. Maybe he shows a calming signal. It could be the, could be blinking, could be looking away, could be a head turn, could be a seesaw lowering. Then you adapt your behavior. And obviously adapt your behavior, not when you see those strings. I'll ju- I just gave examples. But if you see one or two calming signals, you can make a calming signal yourself. You can slower your pace. You can do a head turn, you can do a curve to make communication and harmony within the two of you. And be polite, as polite as the horse is. Because that is a key word, I think, that we expect the horse to be polite at all times, but we're not very polite at all times ourselves. We ex- expect him to be obedient. Many of us. Yeah, yeah, many of us. And and that is what we discuss with the two mm. with, with, with us too, like that control is such a major, major part in the in the horse-human relationship. And we have to let go of that. We have to communicate and have a relationship instead of controlling, controlling all the time. That That is not good for any species. Not horses, not for dogs, nobody. But you were trained as a riding instructor, Turid. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that control... 
the need of control also grows out of coming from a system where we have been taught to be the boss, put the horse in place, you know, pull on the reins, hit him harder, smack him harder. So it's, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's. I, um, I, I went through the education, but I changed things very fast because it's not me to do controlling. So I always rode the horse with totally loose reins or without reins at all. And uh, yeah, we talked today about the, one of my horses who actually went sniffing the ground when he was uh, he was uh, walking with me on his back because I let him do it if he wanted to. I, I see no point in why he shouldn't. If he wants to go sniffing, he should be able to. And he actually tracked down a, a snake. So, I mean, we we need to not be afraid of losing control. We should be good enough and letting the animal have some choices of what to do. That's the only way they can grow and develop and be really smart and, and easy to be around. If they get some self-confidence and know how to deal with things in daily life without us controlling it all the time. It's the same for horses as for dogs. I do the same with dogs. Uh, and I mean, freedom in choices, it can be very small and it can be much bigger. If you tie your horse up when brushing, many people use cross ties. Why? There's no movement. There's no freedom. Why not give him a longer rope or brush him in a paddock where he can look around a bit and stand still. So you also notice when he is done brushing instead of you wanting to continue. Or mm -hmm. if it's not possible outside, giving him a longer rope with some lineage where he wants to stand or what view he wants. I mean, we are also so into our habits that we, we just don't think. We just know, oh, there's the place to tie him up and we do it. Think about the small, small uh, spaces where you can give your horse freedom. If you go out riding, why not make him decide what way he wants to go? And if he wants to return, why not follow? Because there's something maybe why he makes that decision. Or when you go out mm -hmm. on a hike. Or if he wants to go out of the pasture, why not take mm -hmm. him out? I mean, there's small, mm. smaller and bigger things you can do. Because I meet some people who say like, well, there's not much I can do in the life of my horse. But if you, if you start to think of it, you can. You can. And obviously, um, it's not always black and white and you can go totally freedom because it has to be safe. But if we look for opportunities, there are many. And the fact is that if uh, animals are brought up and to be developed and smart and finding their way around things and being self-confident, you know something? They very rarely get into trouble because they get so smart in finding their ways out of it. Especially, mm -hmm. so especially separation anxiety with horses, which is mm -hmm. a major, major problem for many people, that they cannot leave the barn with their horse. Mm -hmm. I mean, having that thought, mm -hmm. empowering the horse, giving more freedom for him to experience the world, is a really good tool with that as well. If you give your horse a lot of freedom so he really develops and gets this confidence and he also gets this relationship to you in a different way, he will, when you ask him to do something, he will do it as well as he can because he wants to please you. Uh, you have to do it in a nice way. I was doing long-distance riding with my Arabian 
and uh, I was I always rode with uh, long reins, and he could choose to take different uh, paths and different things. I was never very strict about it in daily life, but when it was competition, and I asked him to do something, he would do it, and it, there would never be any question about it. I, one thing is, I never used a whip. I never had a whip in my life. I would never use it. I could use my voice. I could uh, use my uh, weight. But uh, the relationship between the rider and the horse should be in such a way that the dog thinks that the horse thinks that she is so nice to me. I have to be nice to her. It is a two-way track and it really works it really does for instance when i was doing uh, long distance riding uh, we had to go off the horse uh, and run beside it to ease uh, some of it for the horse and <clears throat> after having run uh, several kilometers uh, i needed to go on back on uh, on the horse again and when he he f felt that i was uh, trying to get up he actually got into a stone or something so I could easier get up on him. That's how they are. They they become like that. If you really let them have choices and work together with them instead of controlling all the time. Yes, and then maybe if I may add about choices, because sometimes, I mean, a choice should really be a choice and not a choice like I'm the one with food and there's a barren paddock with sand and then i can hear people say on video yeah but he has a choice he doesn't need to come here but i mean a choice would be two places of food and then there's a choice i mean it should be a real value that he can think about it and then act upon it and not like he was forced to do something and he doesn't even know that he's allowed to stop or to say no and then they say oh he chooses me but then i think yeah but does he know he is allowed not to do it. So in a way, that is also important to keep in mind. Yeah, Because some mm -hmm. horses I encounter have been so controlled their whole life that if you give them a bit of freedom, firstly, they don't dare to take it. They stand still. Mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. Yeah. They are very often get learned helpless. And I see many, many, many horses who are. And it's so sad because the fact is, and when they are learned helpless, they are in fact depressive. And I don't want anybody to be depressive because of what I do to them. And then also what you say, you talk learned helplessness and depressive is also linking into what you said about choices, Leva, is that you say a choice should hopefully also be something a horse truly, truly enjoys. And some of the choices we might give would not be the horse's choice. So, for instance, I do scent work with the horse, and I had a um, Suzanne Kiergaard. I'm working with her. She is a former Grand Prix rider. She she has a lot of horses on competition. When she does a competition with her horses, when she's on a competition field, she first does scent work with the horses because the horses really like it. So there's the, there's a bit of choice for the horse what he would like to do or it might be eating or something else. And then there's a reciprocity uh, where mm. she goes out to competition. We should also keep in mind as a human what the horse would choose and not what we think he would like. 
So say for the sake of the argument also that when I'm listening to this podcast, I'm thinking, is my horse shut down and I've missed it? What would be a way to approach um, that perspective? I think uh, I have to think about the, the way we do with dogs because I don't do so much horses and now it's a long time since. <clears throat> but uh, I get across a lot of learned helpless uh, dogs. And what we do then is, uh, for instance, uh, throwing a lot of really good treats on the floor and just don't say anything, don't do anything. Just let the dog try to take the first step and try to uh, to start doing it. And when they figure out that, oh, I'm allowed, nobody says anything, wow. And then they get this joy of doing it. And also the same, if a, if a dog doesn't dare to go through a, a door into a new room or something, we just let him wait. I go through the door and stand just inside and do nothing, no luring. No treats, nothing, absolutely just wait there. And sooner or later he will come and he does it by himself. So make them do something by themselves. Uh, a lot of dogs are under command all the time, just like horses. Do this, do that, stop doing it, be free. They even have commands for being free, for goodness sake. So, and I think it's the same with horses still. Yeah, and for horse examples, you might might think of, uh, as Turit says, with the treat searches, you can, uh, well, copy that because they love finding treats in the grass or in the pasture or on concrete. You can think of, um, uh, well, if you walk your horse to the pasture, if he's stabled and he wants to snatch a few hay strings or he wants to sniff somewhere, we're so likely to stop him because we want to go to the pasture and he's allowed to. Why not? Let him do that. Mm, mm, mm. Or if you go back and there's some empty stables or an, a tractor with fresh manure on it and he wants to smell, just let him smell. So give him the opportunity to, to experience stimuli he wants to investigate. And that's so easy to weave into our daily living. And um, your enriched environments, I think you should tell what it is because yeah. I use it a lot with horses. And it's because of tourist education. So maybe you can tell. I can do so, that. But yeah. first, I want to say one thing that mm -hmm. is really important. That is when the horse is taken out from the stable, out, in the, out of the door, or from outside and in through the door to the stable. And because of the way the, the horse's eye is built up, they... Uh, uh, the first seconds, they don't see anything. They are completely blind when the, the light changes. So uh, it is so important that when you go through the door and he stops, don't yell at him and use a whip and make him go. Just wait those seconds he needs to get his eye in focus of the new light and let him go in. That should be his choice always. They see absolutely nothing when they go from one kind of light to another. And it's the same with trailers. Instead of using ropes and whips and screaming and yelling to get a horse on the trailer, I always did the same. I took a loose leash, went on the trailer, waited till the, dog came, the horse came after me. Because he just needed those moments to see the light in the trailer. 
people do so many stupid things. When I've been to the the races and I see how they scream and yell and whips and ropes and stuff, it is so stupid. It is completely stupid. Just take the time, a little patience. And not necessary, because there are positive alternatives, but you have to find them. Yeah, yeah. And just shut up and wait till the horse has seen the light inside and it can see where he goes. That's what it is about. Choices like that. So relationship and patience seems to be two key elements here. You have to let them have a chance of thinking and seeing and understanding what's going on. And then rich environment, you you can make... uh, Either in the paddock or in also in the inside somewhere, if he has a big uh, room to to do it in, just have a few objects that he can handle and do whatever he wants with. A cardboard box. They love cardboard boxes. Uh, I used to give my horses in the field the Christmas tree after Christmas, and you have no idea how many things you can do with a Christmas tree. You can pull it, you can step on it, you can run around with it, you can sit on it, you can do all kinds of things with a Christmas tree. It's absolutely fantastic. They were having a ball for days after Christmas. (laughs) So that takes so little things they can do what they want with. And they're not going to learn. I've seen some do that. They buy these huge horse balls and they teach them to push them. No, it shouldn't be any teaching. It should be just have it there and see what the horse wants to do with it. That's what I need. That's mental stimulation. And that's what I enjoy doing. There's something they can do for their own pleasure. I think time time is of essence with people nowadays, mm-hmm. at least. And when you are on and when you are on the clock, then it's very easy to be on the doing end and just you know, get the bridle, get the saddle, get the horse. But leave it. Get but on leave, and ride. To, you know. I have to interrupt there because I think it is most important that people understand that you gain if you see enrichment and empowerment as a new discipline in horses, horse-human relationship. You gain so much more. So I mean, making a rich environment and watch what the horse does with it. Doing treat search is also doing, but it's a different kind of doing. So we have to make a mind switch to add new activities with our horse. I have to say that in the in the document I sent you guys, I'm really hoping for a separate interview with you about that, Rachel, scent work. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And if they can just learn to do a little of uh, scent work, they will understand how they can go on and do other things. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so simple. It's the most simple thing on earth, and it's the best you can do for both dogs and horses. It's so good for them in many ways. And then it becomes good for you too. You will benefit from having your horse or your dog being happy. And not spooky. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a change of, of mindset. I'm trying to rewind, you know, like 25 years ago when I met Leslie Desmond, an American trainer. And she taught me, you know, make the right thing easy and, and you know, ask the horse. And 25 years ago, that was I, I can still remember how new that concept was to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first exercise that I also described in one of my podcasts, she said, go down to the field, say hello to your horse, uh, grab hold of the tail and wait. Yeah. 
and let him decide. And when I did that with my horse, uh, he walked straight through the entire field and to a gate that hadn't been used for five years and wanted to go on the other side to eat grass. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like, you know, the whole world kind of changed. So I'm really looking for you know, helping people to get that moment where you see, oh, there's so much more that I haven't really seen before. And mm. because I, for sure, I'm all on the same page about what you gain. Uh, you know, I stopped doing competition riding in 87 because it made no sense to me. But I also want to talk to the people who are kind of still trapped in that I need to have something to show for. Uh, and, and they forget the horse. The horse becomes invisible. And what to me is the hardest thing to to make that mind shift in people is that if you do empowerment, if you do the scent work, if you do the things the horses like and uh, socialize them to the world, it is so nice for them. And that is hard for people to understand because if I tell them they get less spooky, they get more confident, your relationship will be better. It seems like people do not understand that you gain all that by doing so many fun activities. Somewhere it has to be hard or whatever. And a bonus effect, they get much more physical healthy. They don't get any of, well, very little of all the illnesses that uh, our competition horses get because it's too much for them. We haven't seen the small signs that tells us this is not good enough. And uh, if you can do a varied daily life for horses, not the same uh, riding every day, varied mental stimulation, relaxing choices, doing different things, you will get a much, much healthier animal. And less stress signals. If we combine yeah. it to where we started with what do you see and what do you observe, mm. less stress. Because yeah. stress... Uh, leads up to health problems, all kinds of health problems. I think it's really good news that it is possible to really also observe the horses a lot in the stable. Oh, because yes. a lot of horses are kept that way. I mean, I have an Icelandic horse, so they're outside all the time and they're on the fields and they're in the herd and everything. So I have my perspective there. I just, I've been watching horses being horses outside. And for sure, I also watched them in the stable, but that's not where I've taught to observe horses. So I think it's very interesting for people to be able to start what, with what they have, because if you don't have a herd of horses, it's brilliant to observe them where they are. You can sit in the stable and observe a horse and see things. But because, you know, the language I have, it is not only to communicate that they are stressed or fearful or anything. It's a daily conversation, just like we have. We wake up in the morning and say, good morning. Mm -hmm. Have you had a nice sleep? No. Just like that. And that is how dogs and horses use the calming signals to have this little daily uh, uh, chat with each other about things, saying hello. I'm fine. Are you okay? I'm fine. You know, just like that. So they will use it all the time. As soon as there anybody, anything around them, they will give signals. And I think that also it is interesting for people, if they observe their horse in the stable, that they vary a bit. And vary if uh, sit in a corner and see if your horse 
react differently to a child approaching or a child passing by mm. or a dog or look for the variations and see what that does to your horse and the sound and write it down or film it even better yeah, because yeah. you forget yeah. film it and then see mm. and see different i mean obviously do not provoke him that it's not safe because it's nice for video footage but just the regular yeah, regular life things. Just yeah. observe what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Because there's always something going on. And then you will get some kind of yeah. reaction in the animal. That's normal. That's natural. That's how it should be. And maybe you're very disappointed because you see so many signals that you have to adapt your life a bit. Mm -hmm. That might be the case. And make different yeah. programs. That's mm -hmm. the consequence. But it's also growth and getting to know each other a bit better. Uh, wasn't it Cicero who said that the habit, habit is like a second nature? The stuff we used to do is what we prefer to do. So we're kind of yeah. stuck in our own pattern in a way, I think. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. So at least Absolutely. in my, my experience with my horse when I had started this journey a little more than 20 years ago was that I also really had to do a, a shift in, in the way I relate yeah. to uh, animals and the way I also kind of related to myself. Yeah. Yeah, true. Mm. And it's, it's not like a quick fix or a shortcut. You have to kind of start a journey and the journey will go on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. isn't, that, isn't that what binds us all, though, that we all want to keep learning and, and get better and have, yeah, yeah. joy mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and pleasure and fun together? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes lives get a bit serious, right? We should have fun as well. Yes. And yeah, enjoy with our animal and, and yeah, enjoy life together. And I mean, I I always say to my students that, can you please smile and look like you're enjoying yourself <laughs> when you're doing things with dogs? You look so serious, like you're going to the slaughterhouse. I mean, when we're with our horses or dogs, we should we should look like we enjoy it, and we should enjoy it. So. I think that's important. Yeah. And I wouldn't enjoy it if my dog or horse didn't enjoy it. I wouldn't. So maybe film yourself as well. Film the horse and yourself and look look for your own stress signals. <laughs> so we came from calming signals to choices, to empowerment. Yeah, but that's important. Yeah, yeah. It's very and then important. back to language. I think patience mm. and time is, is of the essence. I mean, some things that I can often observe with my horses, I, I can ask, can you come? with me and and he can but he needs a few seconds before he comes so and that's the point where people would usually jank the halter or jerk on the halter and say i meant now and and that seemed to be one of the patterns that a lot of people are stuck in that when the command is given response is now uh, instead of kind of allowing them to think you meant now this way and and have that process and then just follow one thing is that uh, both horses and dogs and other animals, they see first, they observe what's going on, and they they rely to that first. The ears come later. That is not so important. So instead of saying, come here, I would just turn and walk a few steps away when I back to the horse with a loose leash, and he will come. They will. Dogs come, horses come. If allowed to come in their own pace. Yes, and everything going away, they will follow. And, I, and otherwise, ask yourself, why doesn't he want to come? Doesn't he want to leave the herd? 
doesn't he want to go to where you're going? I mean, that's also information to it keep can, into account. Uh, it can be, but it can also be this the mm. simple little fact that it takes much longer time to go in through the ear and be going on to the brain. Yeah. So what he sees is much quicker adapted. And so I use body language, turning, going away, curving, passing them, all kind of body language. It's so much quicker uh, seen and uh, it is so easy to use if people can just stop all that uh, yelling and talking and whatever. And quick controlling, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you talk about body language, it's also interesting that um, you can observe that people don't really have all that great connection with their own body so then it can be difficult to use your body to speak to the horse uh, with body language if you're not you know truly connected yeah. in your own body as well but you know most people are able to turn because when i i really fuss enough they are able to turn around it is not that difficult <laughs> no Shoulder and, turn, a head yeah. turn. Yeah. And it's also possible to stop and stand still when that is necessary. So both those things should be able to learn by anybody. No matter what age or intelligence or whatever. You seem to be thinking, uh, Rachel. Well, I, I was thinking, do I need to add? But no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, and because I was thinking, you know, if I look at people doing it, and I, um, I, I was thinking also that if if you start experimenting with it, that it might feel a little bit strange because you do something you never did, and it mm -hmm. might be that your horse looks at you like, "What are you doing?" Mm -hmm. and also might react a bit differently or curious. Mm -hmm. So, so allow yourself to to have this phase of discovering that mm. together. Yeah, and you know, it becomes a habit. Mm. To this day, I do do it out of habit, even when I don't have to. So it it just sticks to you forever. And it's so good. Because yeah. that way, you will actually either never get in trouble with either horses or dogs. I'm never in trouble with dogs. They understand what I do. Is it? a bit like a door that kind of opens and once you've gone through it then there's not really any turning back because once you've seen it yeah, that's right, you're right yeah. because all my students they tell me years after I have taken my education that uh, sometimes they hate me because I see all the wrong things people are doing <laughs> when you've learned it, it sticks it's just yeah. like bicycling have you learned yeah. it, you never forget it and I also, I mean, and and maybe the thing is you you don't get in trouble because you combine making calming signals mm. with reading the body language of the dog or horse so you know what he can handle. So it is a combination because if you do not observe what he can handle and you put him in a situation that is absolutely stressful for him, mm. then, you're, then you missed an important pillar. Yeah. So it... It, it combines both if you if you work together. Yeah, because that's something you can also hear people say that uh, that buck came out of nowhere. Well, 
And then they go to lectures and they see our film material and then all of a sudden say, oh gosh. Yeah. Because never, nothing happens that way. There's always something leading up to it. Might be quick, but it, it yeah, happens. It yeah. might be quick, but it's there. That's why we talk about this escalation ladder. It is so important yeah. to learn that all these are escalations. And you need to see the start. Yeah, and in, in, in my lecture also, for instance, I have films where you can see the tension going up slowly. And also when tension is there right away. And it's different mm. kinds of tension. Mm. So that people develop also a sense, a feeling for the calming signals and displacement activities and the stress signals and stress features of the horse within movement. Because it can be very quick that the changes are there. And tension can be a little bit steady or level but it can also fluctuate or go up and down yeah and horses will be different like dogs are different mm. that's make it interesting i have been training dogs 52 years of my life and it's still just as exciting as it was in the beginning i never never get tired of it that's the beauty i think We've been working today and we yes we, we have we enjoyed it. This is our vacation. And what 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 do we do? <laughs> yeah. Well I have I have the same with some uh, friends of mine, uh, a group of women that we, we kind of meet a few times a year or try to and, and for sure we have contact in between also, but we kind of just meet and it's just from Friday to Sunday, it's just horse, horse, horse. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, and you come home and feel uh, so energized, and uh, you really yeah. have added fuel to your fire. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm so exhausted after the weekend. You're you know you're on a rising, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially in your own tribe. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important that people kind of get the first tools to kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. try to start experimenting because the curiosity and the experiment and, and just watching the horses, that's what you're going to learn from. Mm. So, Rachel and Turid, um, on this podcast, I have a signature question. Um, and that is, what have you learned from a life spent with horses or dogs, for that matter, that you think it's important that everybody dealing with these kind of animals should know? Maybe Turid should take the dog and then Rachel could take the horse. Okay. First and foremost, I have learned... The, to respect dogs, respect their emotions, who they are, because they have so much in them that we do not recognize. And yeah, so that's, I think that's what I learned most, respect them. And both horses and dogs are so much smarter and more capable of uh, using their brains than people will give them. And that's a shame. I could really talk about that because this is really an issue that has been more and more like present in my mind also with the guests I've had over the two years that I've run this podcast. They're the same brain as us, the same limbic system, the whole thing. It's so important that we understand and respect that and treat them the way we would any human being or whatever, it is necessary. And they deserve it. Yeah. And I love that ending because what I was going to say was also a bit negative. So cut that out. <laughs> but but what, I have, what I have learned is that it's so hard to make people enthusiastic to change their ways. 
and that I go like, why, why can't you be curious and do that? People are so into habits and the controlling you mentioned. And uh, that to me is an extra challenge in my work mm, to yeah. try to reach people to try something and, and experience what Turid made me experience and that that world open up because I would want that for every person to experience. So maybe not and too And what negative. a journey <laughs> that has been. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> what a journey. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel so, so grateful and privileged. Yeah. Thank you ever so much for this talk, uh, both of you. I really, really yeah. appreciate it. And also, uh, I really love the fact that you guys have been yeah, giving people just just like a hint of opportunity to to not say, yeah, but I can't do that because I don't have a herd of horses. I can't do that because I'm busy. Yeah, but you can try a little. And I think mm -hmm. that's that's uh, that was brilliant that you guys managed to present a little because it's very achievable and understandable and easy what you present. So... I, yeah, thank you. I, I got to just what I hoped for. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, that's good. And thank you for the opportunity also for us to share yeah. it. Thank you, Livia. You have just heard episode 23 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. I want to thank my composer, Fredrik Blom, my guests, Turid and Rachel, and last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for your patience. May the horse be forever with you.